Hey, just a note that this episode was recorded on October 25th, 2015. We talk about a lot of things, and it took me so long to edit everything together that there have actually been a few developments in that time. Uh, so I threw in a quick addendum at the end to keep everything up to date. Anyway, we jump around between quite a few subjects this episode, including updates on Adult Swim Canada, the prospects for anime on Show Me and Crave, and a rundown on some of the new series that have been streaming this fall. So, let's get to the show! Welcome to Zonan Canada. Our, our dollar's just so bad, they gotta take advantage of this. Yes, really. I mean, this is this is how we ended up with so much dubbing up here in the first place, and a litany of syndicated television shows that these days will be, you know, cable or Netflix or something. Well, hey, I guess it, it remains to be seen whether things will improve under our new Bishonen Prime Minister. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. There's the, lutest, there's the lutest tweets about that from Fujoshi Online. <laughs> Oh yeah, he there's there's already a uh, um a slash fic out of Trudeau. Oh my god. Yeah. They, actually they were talking about it on on Radio 1 the other day. <laughs> Which <laughs> kind of surprised me, but <laughs> to to be fair, like even the Edwards Carey campaign in 2004 had people writing fan fiction about it. <laughs> so, I mean, if you're willing to ship that, you, they, like you, Trudeau is a dream compare in a comparison. There's our cold open. <laughs> Probably. Hey everyone, this is your host Jesse. Uh, joining me today is Carl. Yep, what's up? And Brittany. Hi. So we're we're going to do something a little different this episode. We're going to be talking a, we're going to be talking mainly about uh new shows that are streaming this fall on the various anime streaming services. Uh but first uh, a couple things I wanted to cover. Last episode we talked about the Love Live movie in Canada. We didn't have Brittany on the episode. Uh I I was just curious Brittany, did you have any thoughts you wanted to share on that particular issue other than my Severe disappointment that I didn't get to see a bunch of cute girls dancing on a giant screen. Or get the swag. <laughs> Were they giving out swag? Yeah, that was like... No! Big, yeah, there was swag Ugh. for everyone in every country, but not no. here. You know why? You want the real reason why? Because basically, uh, as far as the rest of the world's concerned, Canada is in the U.S. And uh, so they showed the movie in U.S. theaters. And obviously, you know, that's close enough. Or a blind spot. Yeah. Always yeah. a blind spot. I'm just upset I didn't get to see my waifus on the big screen, so that's it. <laughs> like, like no, okay, because you play this game, and all they do is hit on you for 12 hours, and it's like, if I was straight to begin with, I wouldn't be by the end of the game. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I just... I just want to see them on the big screen. Actually, you know what's really refreshing? Okay, because I actually did try... Don't judge me, okay? Just don't judge me, preempting this. Uh, but I did try and get tickets to the Bolt movie, the last Naruto movie. Oh, that was yeah, released yeah. In theaters. They sold out. They completely sold out. And they were only like in, shown... It was only showing in two theaters, wasn't it? Yeah, and they were only shown at like 1 p.m. on a Saturday. That's it. There wasn't even a second showing like they had with Madoka. The they, fuck was that? they seemed pretty reluctant to add those uh, Canadian screenings. It was like it was almost like a last minute thing. Yeah, it, it was kind of the same with the the Iron Giant. Uh, I managed to catch the Iron Giant limited edition in theaters, 
but like I didn't even find out about the fact that it was running in Canadian theaters until like after the first showing was already done. I did manage to catch a second showing on like the Monday night, uh, and there was like nobody in the theater I went to either. I didn't not, even know. Yeah, it was not publicized at all. Uh, I was just it was by sheer luck that I happened to be googling it and just stumble on a very obscure press release saying that hey, we are putting this in theaters in Canada after all. <laughs> yeah, it's I I don't get it either. Like just going back to the anime movies really briefly. These movies, you saw it with Madoka when those were released uh <laughs> however many years ago I was in Japan, so like 2012, 13. And then like with the Bolt movies, Love Live as well, they all sold out, right? Yeah. Uh, and the local movies that, that were shown in Vancouver, they all sold out, all sold out. Some of them even sold out within a day in terms of like Madoka. And I think Madoka, for the first movie, they only did the one showing. For the second movie, they did two showings and both of those showings sold out. And I look at that, like numbers wise and you can't tell me there's no profit to be made from that yeah it's ridiculous that uh you, you think they could at least art house screen it for like a, a week or two give it a little bit yeah give it, give it a little bit of breathing room especially because it's like you know people work uh, a lot of your target demographic um that you'd probably monetize is you know it's either you know very young college age people who are just generally busy or you know people who you know typically you know, anime tends to pr- attract a fairly professional demographic. So again, me have trouble scheduling things in if it's a one or twice showing. <laughs> Somebody needs to convince the Cinematheque in Vancouver to give it like a prestigious one week. One week only. Like, yeah, one week only. Just, <laughs> just, 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 yes, just take the classiest route possible. <laughs> I think it'd work. It it could you know what it probably could because I know there's a really large Love Live community here and it wouldn't surprise me if even if they did just like one weekend only two showings Friday Saturday Sunday I guarantee you they'd make tons of money off of it. Yeah, like uh, like Rin Senpai pointed out last episode, it's like even in Vancouver, even people who aren't anime fans have heard of Love Live, which is mm-hmm. kind of terrifying. <laughs> but... That's not really how I want to introduce people to the culture. Yeah. People will be like, oh, anime, you mean like Love Live? I was like, I was thinking more like Satoshi Kone, but damn, whatever. <laughs> well, I mean, it's from the game, right? Because there's that, that medium that uh, most people don't get into anime through games. Uh, but the Love Live game, I don't know. I love rhythm games. And uh, you get a bunch of cute girls hitting on you at the same time. So eh, why not? <laughs> it's, uh, it's a winning formula. <laughs> Also, uh, before we get to the main topic, I wanted to give a few updates on Adult Swim Canada, which, you know, is not really super on topic for this show, but a lot of people who follow the show also like like following updates on this topic, and it's also a topic that I like to be an armchair critic on in general, so uh, I'm just going to cover a couple of things. There are some schedule changes coming up in November, Uh the weekday schedule is still pretty much the same, but on Friday, they're now premiering episodes of Forget About It in uh, in Napoleon Dynamite's spot. Uh, but don't worry, there are still plenty of Napoleon Dynamite reruns left. Uh, <laughs> they still repeat it that night and then all throughout the weekend. Uh, but they're, they're airing a uh, new season of that, and they're also adding that show, that ADHD show about the ducks, Stone Quackers, is going to be replacing Golan. Uh, starting uh, on the November 6th as well. I'm, so, I'm just going to assume that's a downgrade, because Golan's really good. <laughs> right? 
<laughs> Golan's Golan's pretty good. Like you know, it's it started out as the in the eleven minute format from the HD ADHD episodes, and then it it kind of was retooled quite a bit in the the tw- in like the the full half hour format. It, I I think it gained some things and lost some things. Like I I kind of understand why they would bring like uh big name actors like Audrey Plaza and Rob Riggle to to replace the old voice actors for uh for for Dylan and Golan but I don't know Rob Riggle doesn't sit quite right with me as Golan and Aubrey Plaza is essentially just doing a like an imitation of the old voice actress I don't really it it didn't really seem to uh have a lot of purpose I mean they're great I mean they've done, I think both of them have done other voice work at least but yeah it does strike me as like hey it's 22 minutes and it's weird and you know we put celebrities on movies all the time let's yeah. try it with tv show I, which I, kind of gets around the whole point of being able to do an animated show is you don't have to like line up talent like this all the time you do have the voice actor pull to to draw from instead mm-hmm. I, I like how the the focus shifted a little bit like uh it's they, they cut the dad out and made the mom a single mom which kind of puts more emphasis on golan and dylan's relationship and at the same time makes it feel less like a typical family comedy with just this weird monster living in the house with them. <laughs> right. It, it seems to have a little more focus on the central premise. It seems like, you know, within like its 22 minute runtime, a lot of the gags kind of fall flat or seem to come out of nowhere for me. I don't know. I can't, I can't decide which format I like better. It was, it's uh, kind of give or take. Did it, did it get renewed for another season after the, the first short season? Do you know? I want to say that it's got to pick up, but let me double check. Admittedly, I haven't seen uh, anything past that little short season, but I like the little short season. Yeah, like surprisingly, it gets more violent after it moves uh, from ADHD to Fox. It's just like it's just like more. I feel like they have more money to be violent with. Wiki doesn't (laughs) Wiki doesn't say one way or the other. Wiki doesn't (laughs) say one way or the other. They're saying 2015 to present, so I guess that assumes there will be more. Yeah, <laughs> they did start Axe Cop season two after taking a one week break for some reason. So that 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 is uh, continuing, uh, which is yeah, is good because Axe Cop is so yeah. good. So good. I also just like the voice actor choices with that. Like I, you know, you know Nick Offerman's obviously like a great go to, but then to have like Tyler the Creator on is the the tiger, like just yeah, or, yeah, like that's our lion. Yeah, thanks for putting my brain in lion's body. Like that's just fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> but uh, they also added another show back on the 16th that I don't think a lot of people noticed because it was not promoted in any way. But there's a new show that airs just kind of at 11 p.m. after the, the main ADHD block on uh, on Adult Swim's lineup, and it's called Two Nuts and a Richard. So this show is actually a Teletoon original. It's It, it aired first on Teletoon La Nuit, the French channel. And it was originally produced in French, and now they've sort of dubbed it into English. Apparently, they had been intending to do this for quite a while, and it's just kind of stealthily been added to the schedule without any kind of emphasis or fanfare of any kind. This is not good. <laughs> it is It is not good. It is not a good show. I'm not really going to, you know, kind of pick it apart or rant about its quality, because let's face it, Crash Canyon lowered the bar so much that... <laughs> All I can really do is shrug. It feels extra inexcusable in the wake of all the great shorts that they've had on Night Sweats. Like, there's a lot of good ongoing bits on Night Sweats. And then it'd be like, mm-hmm. but this thing gets a tw- gets 22 episodes, or 22 minutes. And I'm like, I'd rather see, like, anything from Night Sweats get 22 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, I, th- I think the only yeah. thing on Night Sweats that hasn't really worked for me is Executioner and Friend. 
that one kind of falls flat, but all the others, I think. I, I like it for the hyperviolence. Like it's just like it, it knows it knows exactly what it's doing. Like it's, it's, it's like it's, yeah, it's just grotesque. We don't care. We're going in. Yeah, it's like, and a, I'd still and I'd still legit twenty two minutes of that, which would really probably be like tough to watch. Still, I'd prefer over. Two nuts and a Richard. Also, I feel like I get you. You're trying to it's like two nuts and a dick, but you should have just said it. Like I honestly, like you're on an adult block. Just hundred, go hundred, go all in. <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah, the the whole idea behind that show. Uh, Carl, did you did you actually manage to catch it at all? I happened to happened into it for about five minutes, and yeah. me and my friend Noli were watching. And we're just like, we can't. Yeah, because the, the funny thing about this show is that the entire kind of creative conceit behind it is that they've taken all these recordings from old radio shows and they just kind of, you know, done bizarre animations set to these these radio conversations, uh, kind of like, you know, the Ricky Gervais show, how it's like an animated version of his podcast. Well, and even and even that was kind of like that's very similar to there used to be there was that show on Comedy Central that was just animating the stand up spits. Yeah, right? yeah. Like it's it's it's, it's 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 a it's a it's an old way of doing this. <laughs> it's 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 that kind of thing exactly. So it's I mean it's nothing new, but um, but I mean when you dub it into English, that that aspect is just erased completely because now you have these state these like staged translations of these conversations that no longer that where the context is just gone completely. Yeah, it's so Cause, weird. Because I mean, like yeah. in Quebec, in Quebec, you could probably make the argument that it has some kind of like cultural significance to somebody. I don't know how popular the show is there. I'm guessing not very. <laughs> no, that would be no, honestly. This would be like dubbing crank yankers yeah, into another exactly. language. Like, why would you? Why would you do that? The whole point is it's a prank phone call, and this is basically <laughs> the same. The same conceit. Like it's like radio calling stuff. So it's like. Uh, let me pretend. Let me. I need to act like I'm here in the studio. What are you doing? Where are you going with this? Yeah, I I also found it really weird that at least the episode I saw had a PG rating on it, despite the fact that it was actually pretty graphic and nasty in some parts. Uh, I know in the first episode there was like this weird scene where a woman gets her breast bitten off by a demonic baby, and mm. it was just like it was pretty gross. I mean, like, I mean, even if it's like really exaggerated, that's that's hard fourteen plus at least. And then on the other hand, you have something like Axe Cop, which is running with a completely undeserved 18 plus rating, which, you know, the you fact know, that that's give, like definitely the 14 range. Yeah. Well, yeah. the fact that you give Axe Cop an 18 plus rating suggests that you don't even really understand what the whole joke behind the show is, because <laughs> the whole appeal behind the show is because it's supposed to be like rooted in a child's imagination. Like no, no, nothing he can come up with would actually warrant an 18 plus rating. I mean, it just. You know, I don't really care what they rate the shows. As, you know, they, as long as they play uncut in the end, it doesn't really matter. But you know, it just, it just kind of gives this impression that the people running Adult Swim actually don't don't actually pay attention to any of their own programming. They've and never watched. I'm not sure them. if there are any. I'm not sure if there is any standards or practices. Like, because otherwise, there'd be consistency. It's just like they <laughs> told, the producers told us it's this. Okay, ding. Yeah. Well, the, well that's, that's the thing. Uh, I mean, Canadian TV stations typically don't have standards and practices divisions, uh, which is which is good. It's just good in some ways because you know you can get away with more. But then you you get these weird inconsistencies sometimes. I don't know. It 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 just seems to underline the general laziness that still seems to be going into that block, or just or or it's just lack of resources. Like yeah, it may, it may be that it's like. This may be one guy really working hard, but the problem is it's one guy for a block that has. It's U.S. equivalent. At least started with like a half dozen guys who were literally like the cream of their crop. Like when I mean, you think about early adult swimming. It's like it's not just that you've got Lazo. It's that Lazo's there. 
DeMarco's there. Uh, Akka's there. All these other, like, you know, uh, Keith Crawford. Like, just you can go down a laundry list of, like, this who's who that's involved with Adult Swim uh, early on, plus being still run, the network still being run by Betty Cohen at that point. It's like a very charmed set of circumstances to, to launch a block in. So if it's getting anything less than that, of course it's going to come up short here. I actually sent them some feedback through their Facebook page a while ago. How did uh, that go? <laughs> uh, they actually they, they responded. And they, oh. Thanks. Thanks for your, your, your constructive criticism or, or, like, detailed feedback. And, like, and they said they do have some changes coming that, you know, you'll probably like. Who, who knows what that means? Be nice if we got Rick and Morty since Russia has it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the, R- Rick and Morty, uh, up until like a few months ago, was only airing in the States, but it seems to be spreading to a whole bunch of different countries now. But it's interesting because they don't, Turner doesn't seem to want to watch uh, launch it in any country without the Adult Swim brand attached to it. So that means that seem, makes it seem really unlikely that another network is going to pick it up here. But... Why aren't why isn't Adult Swim Canada running it? I don't know. It, it, maybe it has something to do with with getting a proper streaming platform up, which they're apparently also trying to do, but hasn't yeah. hasn't hit. And that's and that's another thing that they didn't have to worry about um, when they launched Adult Swim in t- two thousand one. What's, what's the streaming platform? There had been one attempt at it, ironically by William Street, by the same branch that uh, does Adult Swim down in the states, related to Toonami. But I mean, it was a debacle because it was way too early. It's all real media. Um, but now that's just, that's part of your buy-in for, for launching television. And I can see where that's, you know, might be, uh, might be difficult for Adult Swim Canada to, to do on its own. <laughs> yeah. And they're not, especially since unlike a lot of the other countries, like, like, like Russia and some of the European countries or Latin America, uh, they're, they're not starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. Uh, they kind of have to change their infrastructure around. It It could be that they're waiting for another kind of shakedown to happen. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that, if uh Disney XD's launch in December is going to shake things up across all the networks. Uh, that's going to be something to keep an eye on, but again, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Wait, yeah. didn't Disney HD already launch? Disney channel did Disney XD course. Oh, right. Yeah. Course is launching their own Disney XD because the old Disney XD that, that DHX owns turns tur- turned into charged the other week. Yes. Family charged. Charged. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, sorry, yeah. that's how it's spelled. It's spelled like it's spelled in Ermagerd language. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I, th- I I think I think they're trying to like optimize it for search engines, but <laughs> that kind of I think it kind of backfired on them. It's a distinct spelling, so it rises rises to the top of those results. Otherwise, mm. family charged might just get mixed in with a bunch of other stuff. So then you'd have to pay for expensive SEO to like boost you up in that. And you can get in trouble with Google for actually doing that. So you try and do it naturally by naming something unique. But this can this this can backfire on you. I mean, and it's it's not, honestly it's not like family's the only one guilty of this. I mean, when uh, Cartoon Network tried to like be like, well, Toonami's not a kid brand. We'll create a new brand, and we'll just transpose some of the letters in the Japanese word for swimsuit, Mizugi, to Miguzi. And it's like, yeah, but it's still like Google autocorrects, and then there's just new results <laughs> at the top. So I SEO remember, problems. I remember Maguzi. It was a big mistake, but I, I think it was kind of the result of all the Toonami guys. All the Toonami guys had moved to Adult Swim, so Toonami got shifted to Saturday night, but they weren't handling it anymore. So, yeah, well, it's a mess. It was a mess of stuff, and it, yeah. it was just part of it was part of that micromanaged era of Cartoon Network when. You know, after after Betty Cohen left, they had like 
a litany of different people. And really what they should have done is just said, Mike Lazar, the whole network, not just adults from is yours, whether you like it or not. And he running the whole thing would have probably been a better position to put other good creatives, uh, in the management. But instead he's like, I've got it. I've got my fiefdom. I've got adult swim and I don't blame him. Well, that, that, that gave them fun. the lever. That's what gave them the leverage to make adult swim into its own network rather than just a block yeah. too, which yeah. has paid off well for them. So, uh, moving on, there's a few updates, uh, regarding, uh, English dubbing for anime. Uh, Gundam Iron Blooded Orphans, uh, the new Gundam show, which is running on Daisuke and Crunchyroll right now. Uh, it's confirmed to be dubbed by Sunrise. Uh, the, how they're going to distribute the dub has not been announced yet. Presumably it's going to be some kind of, uh, uh, streaming release. Uh, but, uh, interestingly, it's confirmed that it's going to be dubbed by Bang Zoom in LA, meaning that this is actually the first mainline Gundam show that's not being dubbed in Canada. Which I find disappointing. I don't care. I don't know if anyone else cares. <laughs> <laughs> I feel, I feel it's a missed opportunity. I mean, there's a, so far, I mean, like you, with, with Gundams, you're going to have to wait for the whole thing to say whether it would really be a good candidate for broadcast. But so far, I feel like, man, this gets off. This is a more interesting setting than a lot of Gundams have. Um, you know, it feels like it's kind of ha- it's kind of got a bit of Cowboy Bebop's sense of space col- space colonialism and, and futurism with a bit more of a Gasaraki sense towards mech fighting. It's like real, it's practical. Um, barring like the, the the Gundams themselves, which okay, that's your that's a more super robot part of this. It just feels like it, like this would have been a good candidate or would be a good candidate to get on TV somewhere here. And it would, and it, and if it, and if it worked here, you'd probably be like, you know, I could see, I, of Gundams recently, I feel it's probably better positioned for Adult Swim than other ones, but oh, you don't have sure. to dub it, but you don't have to dub it in LA to get it on Adult Swim. You yeah, do well, have to, you would ideally dub it up here to get it on Adult Swim Canada. It, it, it helps, but of course, there's no precedent or reason for it. I, I, I say that this is the first Gundam show in years that I think seems like it would work perfectly on, on Toonami. Um, and I, you know, th- we have this tendency to, to, to think that, oh, there has to be a Gundam on TV because, you know, Gundam, Gundam Wing was one of the first shows to sort of, sort of hit. There's really no reason why any Gundam show should ever have to be on TV, but th- this one, I think, just based on its own merits, regardless of the fact that it's connected to the Gundam franchise, I think this is, you know, this is a show that, that, uh, that really has a chance to grab people, uh, through, through broadcast. Um, Personally, I would have described it as, you know, Gundam 8th MS team meets free. Uh, <laughs> you, you only you only say that because there's a lot of Bishonen guys in it, but I almost feel like... Specifically the, Bishonen the, the guys the, the, uh, not wearing shirts while they're piloting their Gundams, which I thought was a brilliant touch. Because, you know, they're in, the middle of the, they're in the middle of the Mars desert, and it's probably really hot. It, it looks really hot, and I guess... Mars... Maybe after terraforming it is. Yeah. You know, yeah. Maybe. We, we, we can't know to know. Yeah. Um, I, think the, I think the bigger part of that, though, is, is that you know, you're talking. I mean, the part of me that re- really reads like like uh, Soraki more th- more than even Eighth as realistic as Eighth. But this way, I think the Gundam fighting will be like the Gundam fighting in Eighth. But it looks like there's a lot of mech fighting here that is like construction mechs and like workers mechs type stuff, and that's yeah. much closer to the Pat Labor. Um, and then because of the desert setting, um, Gasaraki model of these are machines. They they are used for day to day shit. They can break. They are not, you know convenient these you know like their construction equipment and there's a sense uh about, about that from square one in this show 
uh, yeah. that is very different for a lot of, like, especially recent Gundam. Like, you do have to go back to 8th before you see anything that, you know, annoyingly pedantic as this is what War is really like, and it's not really that cool. There's a lot of, like, bullshit, and these things are, you know, they're tanks. They ship brakes. <laughs> I, I, I know that they usually say that, you know, for people who have seen a lot of Gundam, typically your favorite is either going to be 8th MS team or 0080. Personally, I'm in the 0080 camp. I was a little a little let down by 8th MS team. I think it does kind of lose the thread. <laughs> well, on, on one hand, I mean, it's very obviously oriented towards war nerds, uh, and I, I've never really liked that, that kind of angle. Uh, I, I know people really appreciate the fact that it's like, you know, trying to be as realistic as possible, but that usually leads to people... Uh, scrutinizing it even more and holding up to an even higher standards of what is, you know, realistic for a show about giant robots. I mean, but, but, but I mean, the show did handle that element quite well. Uh, you know, going back to it now, it's it's like really super 90s. Um, but I think that uh, that Iron-Blooded Orphans really hones in on the exact essence that makes 8th MS Team work. I feel like it's also kind of getting some callbacks into like other other Gundams of yore. In, in its way as well. Oh yeah, it's got like, it's got like the the band of misfits, which goes back to to double Zeta, which is awful, but uh, I mean <laughs> it has a good it, it's a, it it introduced an interesting conceit that you know is being done better here because uh, it it follows that theme of having like children who are essentially human garbage. Not to mention that uh, the the lead writer is the same lead writer of uh, of Anohana, so you can get uh, tragedy is definitely guaranteed. <laughs> no, but no, it's a, it's a strong show. There's a lot of, there's a lot of mech shows that um, are slow burns. They don't grab you from, they don't grab you out of the gate. Um, they don't do a good job of giving you intros to the characters out of the gate. You don't, you know, like you, you get a good vibe for people from square one here. Um, and that's impressive considering like, this is going to run some, this isn't like, this isn't a one season. This is going to get a full, you know, like, yeah, they're actually saying fifth, two whatever, four. Two core twenty six episodes for this. Yeah, same. So twenty six, only twenty six. Maybe that's maybe that's why they're not messing around. Yeah, because it feels like <laughs> definitely when you, when you when you when you get when you know when you give a Gundam fifty episodes, they use it. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, no uh, Canadian dub for that one. So a few people will shed tears, I guess. Maybe it's not as big a deal as I thought. <laughs> It'd be nice to see that not be a determinant. It'd be nice to see like, oh, this shows this is a good anime. We're gonna get it on television here. Also, there was a little uh, another interesting uh, piece of news regarding Canadian dubs. Uh, Funimation apparently, uh, people have been bugging them for years to outsource one of their dubs to Canada, and apparently they did. Uh, there was a show called Kingdom, which is sort of a historical drama series that apparently kind of stilted, but it did well enough to justify a f- getting a physical DVD release. I guess it looks like Funimation sent the dub out to get dubbed by Blue Water. Apparently, the results weren't too good because this is the first time. Uh, or one of the few times that Funimation has released a DVD with a dub, but the dub is not the primary track on the release. It's actually going to be the secondary track. Uh, oh, wow. it, yeah, it'll it'll default to Japanese with English subtitles. Well, what's interesting is is you know I'm I'm looking at the wiki page here. It says that the second season hasn't been picked up yet. I'll be curious to see what happens at that point. Like if Funimation does get it, do they send it back out again? Do they? bring it back in house. I mean, I think it's the other thing is, is it's a 38 and the next season's a 39 and it feels like Funimation may, they've already got some long, longer running stuff. And that may have been another reason they kind of 
well, we'll try and outsource on it. And then it's not that they can't do good work, but uh, maybe this isn't something that they're going to like hit out of the park. Well, my concern is that if this, if this actually went so badly that they're not going to make it the primary track on the DVD, that they're not going to ever consider doing this again, <laughs> which uh, would be disappointing. I I don't think it would be that far, but I, I could see them maybe like if they're going to try Canada again, they'll try Canada in another place first. They'll try Vancouver or I guess that's really in terms of known quantities. Yeah. Our, our dollar is just so bad. They got to take advantage <laughs> of this. So uh, unfortunately, uh, so there's been a lot of new shows this season, but there's also been some uh, new instances of Canada being geo-blocked from a few shows. Thankfully, it doesn't seem to be anything particularly good, but it does set a couple of unfortunate precedents. Uh, This isn't a new show, but uh, Parasite's been debuting on uh, Adult Swim in the U.S., and the dub episodes are being released on Amazon as they air, um, which unfortunately means that we as usual, have no way of watching the dub until the actual physical release happens. Which is understandable, I guess, but, you know, it would be nice if they if they threw us a bone some in some way with that. It hurts more because it's not just that Amazon has retail operations up here. They do have dev operations up here, and they are expanding them. So, like, their own employees who are, you know, working on cloud services and stuff and the things that then underpin their video streaming and stuff, can't in you know like i'm sure the company's like you can watch this stuff for free it's like i can't because you've geo-blocked it so when i get home unless i vpn which yes i could totally do <laughs> like i imagine that their own employees do not get to bear that get the fruits of their labor on some of this stuff which is ridiculous yeah. um especially because i mean i know for a lot of how amazon works canada is not the most ideal market um but it's 40 million people and for the purposes of digital just make things happen well, like if you've got North American rights for it, just open the doors. <laughs> it it still it still baffles me that Amazon chose to go to Japan before Canada because I know Japan is a you know a, a really important market when you're trying to expand towards Asia, but it's such a hard market to break into because mm-hmm. it's, it's just it's a so- hard market to break into. But it's it's for a lot of the other stuff that they're doing um, convenient, and they've had good success as an online retailer there. Um, yeah, but I know. mean, but I mean, Netflix just um, launched there a couple of years, uh, a couple of months ago, and I mean, they dramatically lowered their expectations of how things were going to go in Japan compared to other countries. And ha- uh, you know, from what I've been reading so far, I mean, it hasn't completely failed, but it definitely hasn't surpassed those expectations at all. Just because you know, the the, the Japanese public for the most part, doesn't really seem to be interested in streaming. Like, a lot of the time, they're more than just happy to watch those same seven TV channels that they always yeah, watch. That's true. I noticed I mean, that I think while part I was of, living I, I there. I think part of it is, well... That's true. Like, whenever I was uh, at a uh, homestay or if I was visiting friends and the TV was on, they had... I, I don't think they had more than t- ten different channels. Yeah, it's about seven or eight channels, depending on where you are in Japan. And... I, I think I, hardly anyone even has cable or satellite in Japan. It's just, it's yeah, just, no, it's just, I think just, part of what it is, is that Netflix works and it's competitors, Amazon and so on for streaming work because you go from having all of these cable or satellite channels um, to then cutting that cord and then just going to nonlinear. Um, but if you were never attached to the cord to begin with and the costs of that to begin with, if TV has always been an over the air free thing for you, the impetus to change that is dramatically different. Oh yeah, the, um, the idea of cord cutting doesn't even really exist outside of North America. It <laughs> is totally 
totally yeah. a Canadian and United Statesian thing. We're the only countries where, where this notion that you're trapped or you're 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 handcuffed to your cable or satellite provider exists. I mean, it, the, this, this is this this is true. You don't have these sort of like regional lock in, lock ins that you get in in North America, but you still have the lock in of you're paying for a service necessarily in some of these other places. Oh, I'm I'm going to add cable or satellite even in Europe. Um, you didn't you could choose at least who you're going to get that from, and thus it was never as expensive. But that's still you are you're going to buy into linear television. And it was like, well, if I'm going to buy into something, I'll buy into nonlinear television uh, through streaming services. But if you simply weren't really buying into TV, uh, it's harder to say like, well, now spend eight dollars a month to get this. It's like I, you know, it might be a little. I mean, that might be part of it. Is is it's uh, you're not there's a set of psychological transfers you're not going to be able to make, or you're going to have to approach it from an entirely separate angle. You know, I have to admit, I've never really had a chance to use Amazon. Prime streaming, so I don't even really know how it works. I, I know that as a combination it's, it's, of streaming and, and purchasing, um, it's pretty similar to, to 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 Netflix. It's the same, but but since it, yeah, but but you know, it's it's kind of, it's kind of like Netflix meets iTunes from, yeah, from what it's, I've noticed. It, but, it sits in between those. Yeah, but it like you know that's that's a problem with something like iTunes is that distributors can kind of become comfortable like only releasing something on that format because people will purchase it and. Uh, and you know, quote unquote, own it. Uh, but then you still have these these regional restrictions that exist that don't exist with physical media, because at least with physical media you can import it. Um, I mean, this has kind of become a problem with JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, uh, because you know you can obviously you can import the DVD of that, uh, but if you want to watch that show like in HD and dubbed, you know, there is no option for that in Canada because that's it was only released that way uh, through Amazon in the United States. Yeah. Well, like I said, it's one that doesn't, from an infrastructural standpoint, um, and from a rights standpoint, since they're probably buying it carte blanche, like English North American rights, um, unless they're really negotiating some oddball contracts, in which case we should all blame Crave for not picking up JoJo's uh because it would because it's available if, if if Amazon didn't grab it for the whole continent. Well that's the thing with um, Show Me and Crave is that they don't yeah. neither of those services carry any anime right now apart from Pokémon yeah, which is on Show Me. It's a huge gap. It's a huge gap because you know what if you're going to try and be an, a Netflix competitor, Netflix has a just ton of anime. Yeah. Well, yeah he, not to mention you have Crunchyroll. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, I, neither of you have Show Me or Crave, right? No, no. See, I, I wouldn't spend the money on I that. I don't. I'm not sure if any. I'm not sure if anybody in Canada is going to spend the four dollars a month for that. Frank, some people do. I don't know how that's doing for. It's it's not doing. Like, I would like to meet the man who's. I'd like to meet the person who subscribed to Show Me. <laughs> uh, some people. Some people do. Uh, I mean, it's uh, from the numbers I've seen. Show Me is doing a little better than Crave, but you know who, who 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 really knows in the end. I I've sort of resisted Show Me. On Crave, uh, and I've sort of resisted promoting them as possibilities for anime streaming as well, because sort of the idea behind these services is that the cable providers are have created them as, not not as a way to compete with Netflix, but as a way to snatch the rights to things away from Netflix so that they can't get the Canadian rights. Yeah, um, essentially trying to <laughs> yeah. kill the service. At this point, you know, the year and a half since Show Me and Crave launched. It's uh, it's pretty clear that Netflix is not going anywhere, 
and that their their plot probably isn't going to work out and that they're if show me and crave are yeah. going to stick around they're going to have to make it work and the only way i can really see making those services work is you know well one get rid of one of them because this market isn't going to be able to sustain both for very long mm-hmm. and two try and no. become the canadian hulu well become the canadian hulu and if amazon's going to just keep ignoring the market pursue the content that they're commissioning be like look if you're not going to push uh your amazon original up here we will we'll make it available um and then also you know push the stuff that again they only they they didn't commission but they bought but are only pushing in the u.s and be like hey if you're not going to push the following if you're not gonna push jojo's up here we'll take it we'll take anything that you've bought and aren't pushing in canada um you know be be that gap filler so that the people who are cutting the quarter like well shit i guess i've got to buy this because they've they're filling that gap in this market as opposed to being like try instead of trying to create a hole use the use the find the ones that are already present and pursue them and own them i don't know if if they did start carrying anime would that convince either of you to to get show me or crave no, no, <laughs> but, but no, can I say, mm. I think something that makes a really big difference is I like, uh, I'm at home, right? I live with my mom and, uh, I may like put money towards rent, but I don't put money towards cable. Cable is free in my house, right? I, if I was living on my own, would I pay for cable? No, there's no way in hell I would. So I'd look to an option like show me or crave or Netflix, but at this point, it'd probably be Netflix because because Netflix does cover all the genres and all the markets, including anime, which I may not want to watch all the time. But I want the option to be available to me. Yeah, I think if I wasn't getting cable as part of my rent, I would be maybe looking at it. Um, but I'm also tech savvy enough that I'd, I'd have to weigh it against setting up a VPN in the U.S. Because I could do I yeah. could go all in with my setup on that. And I think, I mean, the problem is I am guaranteed an outlier consumer by virtue of my background. Um, I can't say how it's going to work for the average Canadian that would be like, VPN? What's, is that the new MP3? And you're just like, facepalm? <laughs> like, that's just not, I, I'm not that guy. And I think that is, I mean, I think that's part of what, um, services probably like Crave and, and Show Me are looking at is, is that, you know what? We're not going to get the people who are, bright enough to get around this um like the people who are willing to go gray market let alone you know the black market stuff like you're you're not going to sell them um because even if they look to go legit they'll look for what's the best possible legit option um that isn't you know if going to not be a pirate they may still be like but i'm going to use american netflix and i'll you know get a prepaid credit card for hulu or uh, you know, Amazon purchases over VPN and whatever else. Like they'll, yeah. they'll get around it in other ways and, and not have this. I mean, it, frankly, at this point, I mean, there's no original content being created for, for show me or crave. They're an artificial middleman that exists. You're right to try and F up Netflix's game in this market. <laughs> they don't exist for a good reason. Well, <laughs> couldn't you argue that their existence is kind of similar to why Hulu exists in the States? Um, even Hulu's now doing some, doing some originals. Yeah, they're doing originals, but they are owned by, you know, the telcos. Well, the thing is, well, they're owned by the telcos and the networks, which in the United yeah. States became one and the same, somewhat like here. Not, um, not quite as bad as with, here, but. 
not qu- not quite as well not quite as bad in some ways worse in others because you know uh when you're rolling into the same company like a gigantic movie studio like that starts to screw with your some of your behavior remember disney is is abc yeah <laughs> and a bunch of other stuff it yeah i know i oh we need to get that star wars espn synergy going <laughs> that's another thing uh star wars episode 7 is going to be uh on Netflix Canada, but not on Netflix in any other country due to technic to glorious technicalities. <laughs> I hope that finally shuts up people who keep complaining about Canadian Netflix being inferior, which is simply oh, not true at all. We get lots we get lots of great stuff on Netflix Canada. But by the way, these are all re- by the way, all that great stuff that is on Netflix Canada instead of other Netflixes is, is all the more reason that Show Me and Craver boned. <laughs> <laughs> there's still a lot of gaps that they could fill. I mean, I think there's spe- uh, especially if the, if one of them actually did start a free ad based version of their service, that would be huge. I think that would be pretty big, especially if they keep their subscribed version ad free, because uh, yeah. it would essentially be better than Hulu. Uh, but yes. I mean, you have situations like these JoJo's release and the and the Parasite dub release where, you know, they could very easily be filling this gap, but they're not. And I feel like, you know, maybe maybe it is time for people to start pushing them to to air anime. Maybe again, I've always felt up to this point that doing that would be like hurting Netflix. But I, you know, I don't really feel I don't I don't really get that feeling anymore. Well, and very shortly here, it seems like Netflix is going to. Um, you know, that's another thing that they can easily throw money at. And an anime co-pro is cheap compared to, uh, any of the live action stuff they've been doing. Um, so given that kind of thing where it's like pretty soon, you're not just going to be dealing with, I mean, already they're dealing with Netflix on one front. Don't just leave yourself completely open. At least try and be that gap filler, uh, in this market. I've noticed that Netflix is really talking up the possibilities of uh, co-proing anime. In a few of the articles you'll read about their Japanese expansion, apparently that's an angle they're trying to take. And I think it's going to blow up in their face. I don't think they're going <laughs> to pull it off. I mean, just just look at how, how The Seven Deadly Sins has been handled up to this point. Uh, it was nowhere to be seen when it was airing in Japan. No, they, Netflix apparently had it, and they weren't simulcasting it. And they waited until apparently a whole dub was produced before they'd even put everything on, assuming that people only want to binge-watch it. But that's not how people typically watch anime now. They want they want well, to watch the simulcast airing as they go along. It's like they've, they, they, they've misunderstood how it works from the Western angle. I can't imagine how much they're going to misunderstand, you know, the otaku market in Japan, which is, which is like like naturally resistant to any kind of foreign entity. Yeah. Well, I think they could learn it, but they'd have to be start poaching people. And I'm not sure if they've been working things from that angle and and it'd be a tough, it'd be, it'll be, it will not be an easy road. So I think Crunchyroll would have a better chance at co-proing and rowing that running that in Japan, frankly. Isn't that what they're doing though? I, I read an announcement. I I can't quote it. Uh, I read it a couple of days ago, uh, but it said that they're, they're in contact with studios in Japan and they want to produce their own anime. And they were asked directly, like, are you co-producing it or are you just kind of funding it? And it was ambiguously sort of left up in the air. They're like, yeah, we're going to fund some studios that just want the funding. We'll do that. But then, you know, some studios are down with us co-producing. So we're going to try that angle as well without actually explicitly stating which way they were going to go. They've started a a joint venture with sumitomo corporation in japan yeah. uh to to create co-production projects um we'll see how that goes 
back to the topic of geoblocking. Uh, there were two shows uh, this season that didn't wind up uh, accessible in Canada, or, or rather shows that were accessible in the U.S. that did not wind up being accessible in Canada. Uh, one of them, of course, was from Viz. Uh, it was the new series K Return of Kings, which is, m- my understanding, it's not a sequel to the original K series, but a follow-up to the movie which uh, was very confusing, by the way, because I watched the original series, didn't know that a movie came out, and went into the second season, uh, you know, legally on YouTube or something, and I had no clue. What Unfor- the unfortunately, hell was there going is on. there is no legal option for watching this, but we'll, we're not going to talk about that. Um, the the movie actually did get released in Canada, interestingly. Uh, really? Yeah, despite the fact that the first series was not made legally available to stream. So, and then like. A few months later, the the Naruto, the last movie, did not come out in Canada. And then, of course, we saw the, like you mentioned earlier, uh, the, the Bolt, Bolt movie did. was, they dramatically underestimated how many people would want to see that. So, you know, I think we're, we're seeing a kind of uneven trend with, with the way that these Viz movie releases are being handled. I did watch a couple episodes of the first K, because it is on Netflix now. <sighs> yeah, as far as I can tell, that show doesn't actually seem to have any kind of premise no. Nope. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like nothing that I can nail down at all. Uh it has no sort of distinguishing elements in in any way. I can't uh or at least no good ones. I I could <laughs> I could list off all the all the uh the cliché garbage in it, but it's been very popular apparently. They did a really good job uh in when they made this show at just creating every single character trope that exists to bring in uh, you know, people who like the Fujoshis, <laughs> to bring in people who like sword yeah. fights, to bring in people. And by people, of course, you know, we mean like women mostly. They got the sort of prestigious high school filled with inexplicably uh, beautiful people. Yeah. Which was, a, you know, a parodied brilliantly in Osumatsu-san, which is another. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> which we'll get to talk about we'll, that. We'll get to that in a minute. But, I mean, it's got that, it's got the Fujio bait, it's got naked cat girl running mm-hmm. for no apparent reason. Oh, but you know when they stick in an underage, like, eight-year-old girl? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they got yeah. they got that, and um, <laughs> they they kind of have the, the urban street angle, which is very sloppily implemented, versus whatever the hell was going on. It just, it, nothing really seemed to fit together, but apparently it was... You know, they stacked it up in a way that people latched to, and it got a movie, and then the movie got a sequel in the form of the new TV show. But we can't watch it here. D- definitely not a big loss from what I've... I, I, no. No. It's not. No. Yeah, well, if you were <laughs> one of the people who caught the movie in theaters in Canada, I guess too bad. You're not going to be able to watch the new season legally, at least not until it's it's out on DVD. So another, another one that is not uh, accessible here in Canada, Chivalry of a Failed Knight. Uh, which is yet another magical high school show. This season's kind of thick with that. Uh, this one, for, by all accounts, seems to be pretty bad. You know, I'm not really concerned about that. What concerns me more is the fact that this show was actually licensed by Sentai, uh, and they made it Hulu exclusive. Not only Hulu exclusive, but you know, the first week of um, it airs that you'd ha- you actually have to watch it on Hulu Plus. Which means that even if you're wa- using a VPN, you're not going to be able to watch it in Canada unless you're insane enough to be subscribing to Hulu Plus while living in Canada and accessing Hulu through a VPN. I, I don't know. I think that that's a pretty bad precedent. Well, it's also just annoying that, again, Hulu can... I, I know for a fact that Hulu 
could turn on the geo blocking and run some some kind of ads or something here. It's not. Yes, there is the econ- economics of having your ad buy and set up like that, but I mean, you're you'd still be making more than zero. At the moment, you're making nothing, not running it in Canada, and you'd make something on it because streaming's cheap. So, give us give us the week after with ads, please. I know who can. They've done it before. Yeah. With a- no, and there's a. I think there's a bunch of documentaries they have. Like there's some of their stuff that they have gotten global rights for, and so they turn it on globally. So it's not that they can't do it at all. I didn't. I didn't realize that they made some of their documentaries accessible. I think there was some. I, I want to say that there's some stuff that they've gotten the whole set for because there's times where I've hit something that's geoblocked and they're like, "But look at this. This isn't geoblocked." Um, now this is a while back. They may have bailed from that, but I mean, it, it, the fact that they could, they used to be able to do it, kind of says a lot. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it sets kind of a bad precedent because up until this point, Sentai would usually make their stuff available on their their anime network streaming platform, which. You know, if you don't already know, you can access everything on that website for free and in high definition with no advertising, which is really actually pretty great. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, I, I I have suspected for a while that that platform probably isn't going to last much longer. They're probably going to partner with other companies to handle their streaming moving forward, because I think I think we're going to see an end eventually of this idea of companies handling both home video distribution and streaming Funimation will Funimation will probably be the last stubborn. I, I think Funimation won't be the last holdout. I think Funimation is the only one of these companies that's doing home video. That's also large enough to pivot and they will. Um, they're big enough that they can say that, okay, DVD isn't where we make money. Fine. We'll make it on streaming. Um, they aren't necessarily pivoting. Like I think as wide as they should, because they're making a pivot to streaming in North America while Crunchyroll is saying we are going to be a for this for this particular medium of anime the streaming source globally in as many markets as we, as we can get, but um, you know like they they're big enough to do it. Sentai anybody else who was in the U.S. previously never never had the war chest to like make this possible. Of course, Viz essentially has moved away from from doing their own streaming stuff i mean the old neon alley shut down that was a huge misfire and they've they've pretty much the reason they're putting all their stuff on hulu is they've essentially partnered with hulu because they they're not gonna invest in another in another platform you know the, the these companies are still viewing Crunchyroll as a competitor rather than someone that they can work with and but as it stands right now they don't see hulu as a competitor they see hulu as a company to partner with you know while they're sorting all this out they're more likely going to gravitate towards that company and i if the trend continues we're going to see more cases like what we're seeing with with magic boob school show number 3 yeah no i no i think i know it's definitely the problem going forward uh, there's no way around that. They're not going to view Crunchyroll as not a competitor anytime soon. Yeah. They're not going to view them as an ally. I don't think, frankly, Crunchyroll sells themselves that way in a lot of ways. True. Um, I mean, certainly at one point they were directly antagonistic, but even as they've gone legit, um, they're still sort of antagonistic to the old model, whereas Hulu can ostensibly, because it's also all old media people, a little bit more understanding of it. Interestingly, if you follow... Crunchyroll's PR people on on Twitter, they they've talked about how they actually are trying to get Sailor Moon available in Canada through Crunchyroll, but uh, apparently not all parties are on board 
is their sort of official response to that. Uh, no, so, I can so, see that. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> I can believe it in a heartbeat, man. Yeah. Uh, but we did we did kind of luck out with one Viz title uh, this season. Uh, one Punch Man. Uh, we got we got bailed out by Daisuke on that one. They uh, they saw fit to distribute that one worldwide, except for Japan and China. So One Punch Man actually is available on Daisuke uh, for free in HD if you make an account and without ads uh, on the day of release. And uh, I am pretty thankful because that show is really fucking awesome. <laughs> it, yeah, I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. Did, Carl, did you get a chance to watch any One Punch Man? Just some clips, but I mean, I, I've, I'm, I, I'm, I'm digging what I'm seeing. I just haven't had the time because I've been sick and, and busy at work. But uh, I mean, the, the fact that Daisuke, that uh, sort of speaks to another player in this, which is if Daisuke just starts screaming, cre- taking off the top all the cream best shows like one Punch Man, everybody's in trouble. <laughs> I'm not sure if I agree that the Anime Consortium of Japan is something that the uh, the the other streaming platforms in North America should fear. It is it's great that they picked it up, but it's not really the the best platform. Their app is garbage. Yeah, Daisuke has its ups and downs, but you know, One Punch Man was definitely a good title uh, for you know, spreading the good word of anime to, to other countries, which seems to be the, the whole purpose of that, of that yeah. sort of endeavor. I would imagine that, you know, most people have checked it out at this point because it's, it's such a high profile series. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're not, if you're not aware, it was directed by Shingo Natsume, who was the uh, series director of, um, of Space Dandy. Not, uh, you know, Shinjiro Watanabe, of course, was sort of the supervising director, but, uh, Shingo Natsume actually did kind of the, uh, day-to-day uh, the, the, the kind of day-to-day stuff and he also directed i think a couple of the best episodes specifically that one in the middle where uh where qt falls in love and then grows with, and then grows into a giant qt at the end and battles that other yes. robot and uh one punch man is basically uses that whole like that whole uh visual sensibility as its foundation and the well, it lends itself glorious. to it yeah it lends it's it's a show that's like this should be a very visual show because it's about a superhero, like yeah. of course, you, like this should be big and set piece driven. So Natsume is a, a natural fit for that, I'm, and I'm hard pressed to think of many other directors currently who have that sense of humor but big action scope. I mean, normally I say I'm sick of things that are you know that deconstruct superheroes, but I mean this this does it in such a unabrasive way yeah such sense. a like, <laughs> such an unabrasive way such a fun way it's not so much a deconstruction it's just more like uh, here's the more practical thought about it have you guys seen gintama bits oh i've seen i've seen bits i know that the the directors who have handled that have gone on to do some really really great comedy they did uh one of the, the first director of Gintama did uh did good luck girl. Just when I was watching One Punch Man, uh not in terms of the violence or the the action, uh but just in terms of the comedy, the humor in the show, uh I found it pretty similar to that of Gintama, which I I know Gintama can kind of be hit and miss with a lot of people, but I think that has more to do with the um obscure Japanese references it makes yeah. uh, but but I would definitely say to anyone listening if you watch Gintama and you enjoy that uh, you'll like this as well but if I was going to say any recent title that I can pretty much universally recommend to almost you know anybody 
who likes animation is like one punch man is it really like, <laughs> like i i have a hard time imagining people not finding something to enjoy about it but uh yeah speaking of uh you know speaking of the gintama director the the original the first director of gintama again he went on to do um good luck girl or bin bin Bogomiga, and he did direct uh the show we mentioned earlier uh osumatsu-san yes he did yes and uh <laughs> that i i was pretty i was pretty impressed with that one Brittany, what were your what were your thoughts on osumatsu-san it was perfect. I don't... <laughs> okay, I I had no clue what to expect. Um, I'd never heard it before. Yeah, it's great. Or heard yeah. of it. Um, like, the original anime from... Was, like, the 80s? The, six, the 60s. 60s they they, they yeah. did a remake in the 80s. They're kind of ignoring it in this show. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, it, it does an amazing job of deconstructing... Yeah. Uh, anime tropes genres i i made a list at one point just for fun um about of how many uh different anime manga titles that it actually referenced in the show and i think it hit somewhere around like 20 different references and like that tiny 19 minute window what i what i really liked about it was just i thought its level of self-awareness was quite surprising like you have yeah. you have these characters who have just been suddenly resurrected from this show from the 1960s. Yet, yet they're fully aware of the fact that their, you know, their values are outdated. They're fully aware of what modern audiences expect. Um, so, I mean, they don't, they don't waste their time with any kind of tired fish out of water jokes, which seems like the obvious route to take something like that. The problem is that they're, they're trying to overcompensate to the point where they're, you know, almost extinguishing themselves. Yeah. It, it it's it seemed like a like a really refreshing approach to that kind of thing for me for the in, in that first episode and then the subsequent episodes when we see the actual way that they're that they're evolving the the osumatsu-san image for uh for the 21st century it's just it's great you you in the original show you had these six sextuplets who were just sitting around the house all day doing nothing and now it just kind of shifted to them in adulthood continuing to sit around the house all day doing nothing, but the, I mean, this, this problem of being unemployed cert- suddenly becomes an issue, and it does a really good job of sort of translating uh, this, the 60s sense of irreverence that the show apparently had to a modern sense of irreverence. Uh, I, I thought they, did, they handled that transition really, really well. Also, you can go into this show, like, not knowing, like, you can, you can go into this show not even knowing what the original Osumatsu-kun show from the 1960s was. Uh, it it lays everything out very clearly. Yeah, that first episode, the first like five minutes of it was just like you didn't need to know anything yeah. going into that show. You knew everything that you needed to know. Yeah. And then they just took you on a ride. And man, I loved it so much. I'm such a huge fan. Like, yeah, I am so good. I, I don't think it's likely that that one's going to get a, a physical release, but uh, it's uh, I'm, I'm glad we can watch. I'm I'm glad. uh I'm glad we can watch it. It's uh, it's good stuff. Also, it's kind of unfortunate that that Crunchyroll, you know, they always uh, give a translated version of the titles they carry. Uh, I don't know if it's their policy or the policy of the the Japanese distributors. On Crunchyroll, it's listed as Mr. Osumatsu, which is kind of unfortunate because it it sort of kills the whole joke where the old show was called Otsumasu-kun and the new show, as it very specifically states throughout the oh. that is Osumatsu-san. So... <laughs> I get it. Yeah. I like that. So yeah, Osamatsu-san was really great. Uh, Brittany, you checked out a few other shows. Uh, what else did you like this season? Or not like? Oh, like, okay. <laughs> well, I did not like Comet Lucifer. 
Uh, yeah. It was terrible. It was just well, it, really bad. It wasn't terrible, but it was just, well, it was very unremarkable. Yes. Uh, the comparison that I've seen people making to this is, is comparing it to Eureka 7. What? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I find it's kind of derivative of it in, in, in a few ways, uh, you know, with the, the, the character types and mysterious artifacts that's linked to some strange history in a, in a strange alternate Earth. Which would be great if, if, like, okay, my issue with this show was I watched the first two episodes, and I had, by the end of the second episode, I had no clue what was going on. I didn't know who anybody wa- it was. I didn't know anything about the world. Like, I, I just sat there, and I'm like, you've literally given me nothing to attach to or care about in this show. So I won't be watching it past the second episode. Like, there's, there, there, there's although the alternate world looked pretty, but that was about it. It's a very pretty show, but there's just nothing to really sink your teeth into, at least not in those first two episodes. I mean, oh, it's just so. I we were done with mech shows like that. I feel like that was such an O's thing to have. It is a. It's a very mech shows that go no that go nowhere initially and give you nothing to care about and have no flair. That's the problem, <laughs> Carl. Is that this is like almost kind of. You know, I know, I know, like something like Eureka Seven obviously is very derivative of things that had come before it. Uh, you don't, you don't have to pick it apart too, too far to see the the influences from like Evangelion and Fooly Cooly and things like that. But it still kind of established its own voice. Whereas this is being derivative of all those derivative shows from the two thousands of all those <laughs> kind of nothing bland mecha shows with like Fafner. <laughs> yeah, it's like it, it's just it, it's embracing that as the norm to achieve in mech anime and i that is a serious which mistake is, <laughs> which is a pity because if they're if i were if i were going to rip off any mech show from the o's it'd be stelvia because that was so much fun mm-hmm. had actually and, and you care about the cast pretty much out the gate and it's a huge cast and they managed to give the huge cast de- development and it's like it really underlines it's like these it's not that there's an excuse to have these things that kind of are mealy-mouthed and, and soft and go nowhere as a mech show you can have big ideas and communicate them quickly and efficiently. It's not a constraint of the medium. It's bad work. <laughs> yeah. Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. It's, so yeah, just it, don't watch it. Yeah, it's just all those bad <laughs> it's it's all the worst elements of like bland world building and uh and, and under uninteresting characters that, that plagued us last decade. Again, the problem is that it, it still thinks that's the way to do things and it draws its influences from all the wrong places. So maybe it'll go somewhere neat. Who knows? I am not that interested in, in following that one further. Okay, so moving on, something else. Can I say surprising, uh, Lee, surprisingly, I watched Attack on Titan Junior High expecting to just roll my eyes and hate it a lot, but I actually enjoyed it, which is probably not going to be everyone's feelings, and I don't think you can really enjoy the show if you haven't seen the original Attack on Titan series, uh, but I liked it because it was basically a parody of itself, kind of making fun of itself, and uh, some good jokes, some good humor, and really short, too, which I think helped make it likable. <laughs> I, I checked out the first episode. It was it was pretty funny. If you're a fan of the show, you're, you'll... If you're, if you're, like, a hardcore fan of the show, you actually will probably get a lot out of it. It, it, it kind of... Uh, repeats lines of dialogue from the original in ways you don't expect. I, I I did like the idea of like the kids being in one school and the Titans being in another school that was right next to it. That's that's, that's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, see, this is what I mean. Like they do, they do a pretty good job at kind of 
uh, parroting themselves, making fun of how serious the original show takes itself. Yeah, the the, co- the contrast of the they they use the same soundtrack as the original show too, yeah. uh, which is uh, it, you know it's a it's a nice touch. I mean, it's a great soundtrack, but when you put it against these these comedic visuals, you, it it actually has a has a pretty great effect. I'm probably not going to follow it, but yeah, if you're a big fan of the show, that's that's not a bad one at all. You guys covered um the new Gundam show. Yeah. Which, is it weird that, like, I'm the only one who was not totally sold on it? Admittedly, I'm not a Mecha fan, okay? But uh, I grew up with Gundam Wing, uh, and I've read uh, numerous Gundam titles. But something about Iron Blood Orphans, I'm really hesitant. I guess maybe just because they're they're using child orphans, and I feel like that's kind of a, still a really relevant, serious topic that... Anime is not exactly the best platform for that kind of commentary on it. I don't know. I think it's tough because contextually it's one of the, by virtue of its strength as a medium, if you deal with it in that context, there's a lot of people who may not have otherwise paid attention to it will now be exposed to it. And it will really depend as the series go forward, how that's handled. Because there's been series um, that have made that the central point of the show, like now and then here and there it's, it's that, that is a show that's simply about child soldiers and, and war friends. And they use a fantasy setting to give it a little distance, but they kind of dissolve that as the series goes on and make it pretty plain that like, yeah, this is, I want to, I can't remember who the director was, but he, he did it after seeing stuff about child sh- soldiers. And, it was actually and, and, and a- Aki- Akitaro Daichi. Yeah. It's Daichi who normally does all these wonderful dramedy comedy things. And he did it basically as like, I saw child soldiers in the world and I need to communicate this in a medium that I have c- command over. Um, mm-hmm. And that, um, you know, IBO can do that. And if that's brought up in the context of Gundam in the right way, it underlines something that in a sense Gundam has taken very flippantly throughout um, most of its history, which is, you know, like uh, Amuro Reza, a, a teenager, a young teenager, and he's suddenly in the middle of this war and he's sad about it, but they don't really get into like how effed up that is. Yeah. Um, and that's something that's been in various me- measures ignored or glorified throughout Gundam's history. And this is a possibility to like maybe have a more introspective moment. We'll see whether they get there, especially because, you know, they only have 26 episodes and it feels like there's a lot going on for them to deal with. But I'm not, I'm not, that, that to me is not necessarily a, so much a caution point is maybe Gundam's maybe. Sunrise is going to try and own up to something that they've glossed over in the past. So I'm kind of curious to see where they, uh, to me, that's another thing that I'm like, ah, I got to see what they're going to do with this. <laughs> I, I mean, on one hand, anime is a great medium for uh, exploring things like, like, like oppression and, and child soldiers. Cause you have that sort of layer of unreality that it can, that it can sort of operate behind and make it more, more palatable. It also, well, it can get you across kind of an uncanny valley where yeah, you just couldn't yeah. watch it. And then you get to that deeper understanding. Like, I think, yeah. like, it'd be incredibly hard to do a film like Grave of the Fireflies in live action because it would just be brutal. Exactly. Just, it, it'd just be on brutal, whereas you can you can soften over the top of that a little with the animation to then actually say, like, but no, really, it's fucked up and brutal. Yeah. And you can actually finally get people to that realization um, in a way that would be very few, if any, live action director could, could make work. Because yeah. you'd also then need to have incredible child actors to sell it but on the other mm-hmm. hand uh I, I mean gundam it is a is it like an afternoon 
wide appeal show that yeah no i'm actually itself... kind of surprised how brutal it's been yeah so far for the time slot it's in the fact yeah. that they had no question have had like yeah these kids kill people yeah in a kid's time slot i think that, i mean i think that's the other thing is they're not pulling any punches with the time slot they're being like no this is a messed up scenario this is violent and i don't think they so far they far from glorifying it have much less so than any other gundam series in the past been like no war is not they're they're getting to the war is hell shit kind of out of the gate with this gate, yeah with that opening scene right um, yeah just like oh we we're we're open the show with murder and the kids <laughs> doing it. Uh, that's incredible uh, yeah. for a Gundam series yeah. because it really does underline, like, you know, strictly speaking, we've done this before, but we had it under the whole guise of, woo, robots. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, it's still killing people. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little more realistic. Yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting thing to keep an eye on moving forward. I'm I'm well, yeah, it's I'm a really Gundam show, so it's like yeah. it could completely implode in the next <laughs> two episodes. Or it could be uh, a masterpiece, and you just you never know. Like a Gundam series, are like the last thing I'd ever place a bet on in terms yeah. of quality. <laughs> so, uh, also on the topic of revivals, uh, Carl, we watched the first episode of Young Blackjack. That was dope. Uh, I liked that. Was it good? It was. I liked it. Yeah, it was. It was good. I mean, it 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 had definitely the uh, the elements of of. Uh, that made Tezuka's original comic work. Um, plus, you know, they'll find any excuse for him to, to take off his shirt and show off his, like, <laughs> stitched together, uh, chiseled body, which is, yeah. which I'm is kind of funny. I'm disappointed I skipped it. It's, th- th- this is a season for man service, uh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. One, one thing I didn't, I didn't like the political aspect of it, though. I think that was, I think it's something that, like, you either ignore it entirely or you have to cope with the fact that that was in play in Japan at the time you would have had Blackjack as a student. I, I'm not put off by the fact that they're depicting the, the student protests from the 1960s that were going on. I mean, they portray it in such a negative light. Uh, they make, they make the protesters seem so unreasonable. You know, if they, if, if somebody wants to, you know, communicate their political beliefs through their artistic work, I mean, that's fine enough. But in the case of young Blackjack, or the the writer and artist who did the original manga are taking somebody else's IP and sort of right. inputting and or inserting their own controversial politics into it. I think that's that's kind of a shitty thing to do, really. Yeah, I'm not sure if I, I'd have to see more of the show to see what they do do with it because I felt a lot of while they were showing, I don't feel the characters that were protesting were necessarily coming off as that obstinate. Maybe, um, maybe they're going. And, I th- and, 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 and when, when I feel like a lot of where that contextualization was coming from were the people who were who were on the other side of it and they were trying to show this is how to some extent and maybe this was not intended or maybe this was intended and it didn't read well but they were trying to show this was what the powers of be were thinking of some of these people you know i think there's a bit of that maybe they're going somewhere with it i don't know we'll see but given you know the politics we've been seeing in a lot of other anime lately like gate and uh irregular at magic high school uh, I'm not going to get my hopes up too far that we're going to see anything particularly progressive <laughs> with the way that they depict this. I could be wrong, but I'll, I'll be curious to see where they take it. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure their anime as a industry is drawing in the people who are always going to be taking the, uh, that tack, right? Yeah. Otherwise, I think in terms of g- giving you that flavor of what a young blackjack would be like was good. I think that, you know, like ignoring the politics. Uh, or that aside, 
you know, it gave me what I expect out of a blackjack show for sure. I, I, I guess they're just trying to, you know, dissect that idea of what would make him go rogue, make him become mm. an unlicensed doctor. Uh, maybe, maybe his journey towards that will be interesting. Uh, obviously, I could read the manga if I really wanted to know. I'm sure, I'm sure <laughs> many of you already know the answer, but you know, mm-hmm. we'll we'll see where that goes. I guess. Did either of you or uh, Brittany, you watched uh, Concrete Revolutio as well? Yes, I did. I was hoping you would bring that up. I actually, while I was watching it, I thought of you. I was like, this is <laughs> this is Jesse's jam. This is oh really? Yeah, I thought. I I don't know whether you liked it or not, but just I guess the aesthetics of the show just. I don't know. It made me think that it would be something you would at least, you know, give a chance to. Uh, but I, I really liked it. It, I mean, I, I liked it. Uh, the, the visuals were fantastic. I've only watched the first episode so far. I wanted to watch the second one, but I haven't, uh, I didn't find time, unfortunately. Uh, I found the first episode, despite its great visuals, uh, to be incomprehensible. I could not understand what the hell was going on. Um, and it almost seemed, I don't know if it was deliberate or kind of an oversight uh, because it was just jumping from just the way it was edited. It was jumping from thing to thing so quickly that I couldn't I, I didn't I wasn't able to process anything that was happening and really put the pieces together. It almost seemed really? like it, in a lot of ways, I was just like, is this show just trying to make me throw my hands in the air and say, what the <laughs> hell is going on? Uh, I think it has that... time comfort you by assuring <laughs> you that there's you, you don't really what's going on isn't important anyway so just you know just enjoy being baffled i i totally was i was able to completely follow along with it uh, i will say though because the show what it does is it jumps from the present to the past yeah. and back to the present and back to the past again with no segues and they don't do a, like they don't do a very good job of uh, making you realize you're going from the past to the present and vice versa. So it definitely can get confusing, um, but I didn't have any problems following along with it. And I actually really enjoyed how fast paced it was. It kind of just threw you in there and you're kind of like hanging on and just going along for the ride to see where it uh, ends up. <laughs> there were a lot of little, I did catch a lot of great subtle touches. Like they seem to be building off of, um, of, of like pulp popular culture with uh with a lot of their themes i like their use of like halftone dots in a lot of the 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 visual aesthetics to sort of to sort of hone in on that classic comic book style but combine it with you know western and and japanese sensibilities when it comes to to pulp literature Uh, i think that's that's a really good approach but uh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna follow it and see where it goes i mean at any rate it's it's really crazy uh and it's definitely got that kind of bone signature flair to it uh but i i would recommend it it's really i i thought it was really good <laughs> who directed it uh, um seiji mishima oh it's yeah oh wow wow yeah seiji mishima the uh fma 2003 uh guy directed that the, the, gun, the mobile suit gundam oo guy the <laughs> kindergarten guy yeah he's got like he's got i mean i, I mean i think that probably me if anybody's gonna make it work it's a guy with diversity under this belt and like he's done everything from Literally from like Full Metal Alchemist to Hanamaru Kindergarten. So he's done like goofy, dumb comedies. He's done serious action stuff and stuff that mixes it. So and seems like a good place to start with. And he was he was the real star of Shirobako. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was. He was. Yeah. He, was, like, he is. I mean, actually, given the context of Shirobako and how they basically made a character about him, 
I'm like, yeah, that guy could direct this show. Of <laughs> all the anime directors they could pick, they picked him to be you know, the director in Shirabako. So that's, yeah. I guess that says a lot. Though it does not necessarily speak good things about this show's quality going forward. <laughs> 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 Too jiggly, not jiggly enough. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, let's, uh, I guess we'll just have to catch up to those, what, four episodes now? Three or four episodes yeah. and just... We'll, we'll Hope work out whether best. he's already been locked in the in the writer's cellar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, any other shows uh, worth noting? Worth noting. Oh, um, can I say you this go. is worth noting in the sense that you should just avoid it at all costs? Uh, my friend made me watch Diabolic Lovers 2, like just the first two episodes that were out, and I will never get those like 30, 40 minutes back. I feel like I died inside. A part of me died having watched this show. I what is attractive about a guy calling you bitch Chan? <laughs> Pretty fucked <laughs> up. I, I, yeah. Like, what, I, is, what is attractive about a guy saying like, "Oh, she's just a stupid cow. Come on, cow Chan." And I'm like, it got worse. How? It's it's reverse harem with vampires who are incredibly abusive. Yeah. But people are into it. It's based off of a game. And I have not played the game, but uh, while I was in Japan, one of my, one of the people living in my apartment played it, and I didn't understand. Like I read the dialogue, and it's just as bad as like the translation here. It's I don't know. Like basically, they just take all of the worst parts of Twilight, <laughs> and like all of all of like that horrible possessiveness that you get in adult smut novels and amplify that by like a million and that is diabolic lovers in the worst ways possible like it's just it's it it reminds me of the uh of that bit in um uh Watamote where the lead character is listening to that like Yandere Boys CD and like it's that kind of like that's their audience is people who have like that those kind of weird not right necessarily expectations <laughs> yeah it's it's definitely a, it definitely underlies a, uh some troubling themes with with that uh with that genre but uh, i mean it's 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 what a lot of people are looking for <laughs> like it or not i guess speak, speaking of troubling themes i guess um so i've been watching i've been trying to watch some of the little short stuff like the things that are like running in seven minutes and i watched uh while i've been laid up because it's like i'm awake for seven minutes i'll watch something and i'll go back to sleep <laughs> uh being sick is fine uh so i watched a bit of uh a few episodes of hack a doll which is one of these like i think direct to mobile series that Crunchyroll's picked up oh, yeah. and it is it is goofy as hell and it's not like, it's not good. It's not a great anime, but I mean, they, when you get to the third episode, there's, there's, there is some really obvious Ava jokes and parodies and stuff. And you, it really does underline the fact it's like, yeah, this show is just kind of, it's, it's, it's pretty empty, but at least it knows it is and is having fun along the way. Um, so on that note, it, it works as it's a show that if you tried to do 22 with these characters, it'd be just grating. You couldn't, couldn't do. 22 episodes of that a week but seven a minute and 30 of which is the opening and another 30 seconds of which is the head <laughs> so really five minutes of show perfect like it, it is it does really it is a nice little gag anime and i feel like lately i've enjoyed that stuff more in some ways in the past seasons like uh 
there's that minute long show Wakakozake that Jesse and I have been watching and that we need to finish up, uh, which is just literally, yeah, an office lady goes to a bar and eats a food. Like that's what the show is, but it's, <laughs> it's all, it's all it needs to be. I'm kicking like myself for almost missing that show. Uh, yeah, no, you almost know, missed like, out just, on it. I mean, the only part about that show that sucks is it just really reminds you of how great food is in Japan. And you just want to go back to Japan and eat great food. Like it's a show that you watch as somebody who's visited and be like, damn it. I want to eat what that person's eating. (laughs) Yeah. There's a live action version as well. And it just got renewed for the the live action version got renewed for a second season. I kind of want to see that, but I don't think anybody's got that above board. I I, I can't even find it below board to be perfectly honest. Sad days. Yeah. I can't watch my food show. My food show with a Fujo. What? <laughs> there is, yeah. Well, there's no shortage of food shows these days, though. Yeah, true. I, that's a trend in anime. I don't mind. That's going to be the trope. Let that be the trope. Better than incest. What? It is. It's a much better. Well, no, yeah, no. Yeah, a lot of things are. A lot of things are. Made shows were better than that. The sleazy adults, like oriented magical girl shows, were better than that. When you watch the first episode of an anime, let's be honest, it's rarely ever so engaging that you commit to watching the rest of the show, right? It's just like any new TV show, especially with anime, it's always, it's never like an episodic formula. It's always serialized. You have to stick around for the full, like till the end to get uh, anything out of it. So, so I mean, shows can always surprise you. Sometimes they start terrible. Uh, like Akame Ga Kill, I don't know if anybody, if you guys watched that, but it had a horrible start and I don't know why I stuck around with it, but around the sixth or seventh episode, it just kind of kicked into overdrive and then it just went up from there. So you never know with shows, right? With anime in particular. Yeah. It's, it's tough with anime because on one hand, it's easier to justify the get over the, get over the bad episode hump than it used to be when that used to be like, buy two $30 discs that are garbage <laughs> and then buy another, another four to, to, to six $20 discs that are actually going to be really good. Um, now that it's streaming, it's like, hey, this is part of your one of your subscriptions. You know, like it's a little easier to justify it at this point. Uh, but I still hate to like tell people that it's still one of these things. It's like I really like shows that it can at least start off somewhat compellingly. That you're not just kind of like treading water until it like kicks off. Because, um, you know, I think that's it's like Lucky Star is a great example of that. It's like when it's under that first director, it's just kind of treading water, and then okay, it's great. But I'm like, I, you know, like, I can't then recommend that to a lot of folks. I can't, like, the, yeah. the, um, it's, and it's part of why it's so easy to recommend, uh, a, uh, a Cowboy Bebop because it does in one episode, you're already getting something out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, yeah, so they haven't introduced every character. There is those ongoing threads, but in one episode, you're like, oh shit, I know what this is. We know where we are now. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, there are shows that I do think pull that off. One Punch um, Man. Like, <laughs> also Matsu said. Yeah. I th- I, yeah, no, like this season has some good examples of it, but I mean, I even think even stuff like, uh, like Chihaya Furu in one episode, oh. you kind of got a good idea of like, all right, I know what we're doing with this. I know where, I know, I, I know what we're supposed to get out of this. Um, uh, my love story, same thing. Like, I think, I think there's a lot of shoujo so, shows that really get their thesis in, in 22. So it's yeah. hard for me to say like, well, this other show is going to take 
six times that. <laughs> I don't know. With with my love story, I thought based on, like after the first two episodes, I thought it was going to go the same route that uh, Nozaki Kun did. Uh, I'm really glad it didn't because that would have been excruciating to watch for 24 episodes. Um, yeah, I mean, though it was great to watch that for 12 episodes in Nozaki-kun, but I mean, that was one of those rare, it's so rare that you get four coma shows that like are work. well adapted. Yeah. Um, normally those just eat it uh, when they go to animation and instead it fit perfectly. Like it feel like it felt like it, they had adapted a manga, not a four coma. So on that basis, it's all like, and this is what's tough about, you know, any new season is just like you'll see something and it really does like eat it its first episode or 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 a few and you just drop it. And it's like, yeah, someone else is going to have to who 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 has patience and time can get over that hump. But and I'll loop back to it if there isn't something really good running currently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, I hate to say it, but it's true. It's how it's what it is. OK, well, I think that about does it for this episode. So, Britt, yep. Carl, thanks for coming on. You're welcome, Jesse. No problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks a lot. Hey, so there's been an update on something we talked about in the show. Um, because this episode wasn't long enough already, I figured I'd just tack this on to the end. I mentioned before that Chivalry of a Failed Knight was being simulcast exclusively on Hulu. Well, it looks like the streaming company Viewster has bailed us out on that one. They announced just last week that in addition to the UK and Ireland, they'll be simulcasting the show in Canada. This could suggest that Sentai is willing to work with potential competitors. I don't know. We'll see. One thing we also forgot to mention in this episode was that Now and Then, Here and There, the classic series that Carl brought up, has actually recently resurfaced online, but also as a Hulu exclusive. So, Viewster, if you're listening, maybe you could bail us out on that one, too. Anyway, thanks to Carl and Brittany for coming on the show, and thanks yet again to Carl for producing all the awesome music you hear on this podcast. It's all taken from his recent LP, Packet Flood, uh, which you can purchase at his website at ultraclystron.com. If you follow the show and you're not subscribing to it, please consider doing so on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you can, leave a review. And if you know anybody who might like this show, please recommend it to them. So until next time, see you again!